I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is Clockworks, a Legion podcast. And we are winding down. <laughs> like a clock. I I did not see that one coming and actually genuinely laughed. <laughs> <laughs> Score! This is our season three wrap-up episode. I actually say I'm going to uh, lay our cards on the table here. For seasons one and two, uh, we ended up cutting our season wrap-up episode into more than one episode because we had so much to say. I have no idea whether that's going to happen this time, so this might be our only season wrap-up episode, or it might be part one of two. You'll find out by the end of this episode, and probably it'll be in the show notes and title. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. You know more than we do right now, guys. Wow. We are going to talk specifically about season three. We will have an episode or two where we talk about the series as a whole. So we're going to avoid some of the overarching themes that were of the whole series because we'll cover those at a later date. Mm-hmm. So would you like to start talking about season three by talking about the characters in this season? Yes, let's talk about each character and how they've journeyed. So we'll start with kind of the most minor of the characters and work our way to the most major of the characters. So let's start with kind of a combo of Clark and Daniel this season. We saw... I mean, my, my starting point for talking about Clark and Daniel is just how they both end this season. Yeah. That Daniel gets his memory wiped and Clark just gets sent out into space to die. Yeah. And the part of the idea of the season is everything resets, so that isn't their ending. But it also is the last we see of them on the show. That's like a rough ending for these two characters. It's a very rough ending. Especially Clark, but both, really. Yeah, and we've come to really like Clark. From him being a villain at the beginning, we've come to really like him, so... It was hard to watch that happen, especially Daniel losing his memory Hmm. was really hard to see because, I mean, we're not attached to Daniel. We're only attached to him as far as he is Clark's husband. Yeah. So to have him lose his memory and lose memory of Clark is super hard. Did Clark grow as a character this season? What what was his arc like? I don't think he did. No, me neither. He had a quite minor presence. He was, I think Daniel existed only, as you say, to hurt Clark mm-hmm. narratively. Like he was only there so that they would have something to take away from Clark. And Clark's growth as a character, such as there is one, was growth from happy to unhappy to dead. Yeah, exactly. Right? I don't know that he actually, things happened to him, but did he grow and learn and develop? I don't think so. Yeah, I think all of his growth was last, or all of, yeah, all of his development was last season. That's a shame. Yeah. I, I think that it was kind of a waste. Yeah, I agree. I don't think they served Clark particularly well this season, and I would have liked to have seen more of him, even if it wasn't more minutes, like, something actually happening that mattered to him. Mm-hmm. You know, not just that happened to him, but that, like, he... I'd like to have seen him be active in some way, actually. Yeah. So speaking of characters that were a bit of a disappointment, 
Remember Patonomy and how we liked him so much and how he's nothing? Yeah, Patonomy is like, like not even a character this I, season. I felt like they wanted to hold on to Jeremy Harris, the actor, and wanted to make sure to like give him a continued role in the show, which was nice. But Patonomy is dead. Yeah. Like he died last season and this is just a robot with his body. And there are moments where he's slightly himself, but honestly... It was just sad to me. Like, he, there was nothing there and nothing ever happened with him. No. I think it's another missed opportunity or squandered opportunity. Like, they early in the season, they even kind of teased that there's some autonomy still there. Mm-hmm. And then it didn't go anywhere. Not at all. And it was kind of nice to see the actor around, but only kind of because it felt like a waste to me. Yeah, yeah exactly. So other actors that are only in one episode this season is Melanie and Oliver. And unlike Man, like, move from Clark and Patonomy, which is such a waste, Melanie and Oliver were in one episode, but massively important in, in that episode and in the season. Yes, absolutely. I think that I felt like at the end of last season they could have just disappeared and I wasn't entirely expecting them to come back at all. So when they did and then had a whole episode dedicated to them, that was great. And to see uh, the life they're living is both good and bad. I feel like Melanie is... I'm disappointed with Melanie because she kind of got what she wanted, but... She just ends up being in Oliver's brain, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, does she even really exist as a as an entity, as a person, individual anymore? Or is she just part of Oliver's projections? And that's something we could probably come back to when we talk about all three seasons. But yeah. Melanie's... I liked what I saw of her quite a lot in this season... Uh, unless I try to reconcile it or relate it to the first two seasons, and especially mm-hmm. the first season. Yeah. Like, I don't think that the Melanie we saw in this season has anything to do with the Melanie we saw in the first season. Yes, exactly. I liked seeing them inside the astral plane, how she raised Sid and her relationship with Oliver. I liked Oliver in the astral plane. He seemed kind of happy finally that he had Melanie there as an anchor yeah he wasn't going nuts they were together which is kind of a sweet end to their story is I mean in some ways to have them like both be on the astral plane with their bodies frozen who knows on the real world is depressing but on the other hand they have each other and they have this world that they're in where they're happy and they're not feeling lonely or isolated or anything like that. And I liked, again, we probably will look at this from a different perspective when we talk about the whole season, the whole series. But in this season, in this episode, like, I actually really liked the way that Oliver and Melanie's relationship was depicted. That from other seasons, we know that Oliver is the psychic and so we're in, it's his power that's keeping them there. Mm-hmm. And from other seasons, we know that Melanie kind of used to approach the world differently. But if we are just looking at this season and just looking at this episode, they really are 
like you said, anchoring each other even before, and we only have like indications of things before Sid, Baby Sid appeared, but even before Baby Sid appeared, they're like, really seem to be good for, for each other. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And in terms of raising Sid, we, do, we see a real partnership of parenting from them. Mm-hmm. They teach her good lessons that carry forward for the rest of the season, but also just like, I like the way that their parenting is depicted as a par- real partnership. And what we said at the end of the last episode of, like at the end of the finale of the season, that uh, Charles and Gabrielle need to be together, we see like parents working together to parent their child uh, uh, modeled for us in this episode mm-hmm. in a way I really like. Yeah, and even to take that back to Clark and Daniel, we didn't really see much of their parenting relationship, but when Daniel loses his memory, there's that extra layer of like, they have a kid together. He's not going to remember his kid. Yeah, That's taking away that you know, partnership, not only for Clark, but father for their child. I don't think their child ever has a name. I don't think he does. But, so that togetherness is really portrayed well in this, in this show. Yep. And it's pretty, it's important, right? Like, mm-hmm. when we see that modeled with uh, Oliver and Melanie, they depend on each other. And we see, I like what you said about her being an anchor for him, we see little glimpses in this episode, in this season, of Oliver still, like, forgetting words. Yeah. But she doesn't forget words. Mm-hmm. And she helps him stay grounded. Yeah. All right. Carrie and Carrie. Oh. Now, <laughs> Carrie and Carrie have have character development in this season really do and talk about like characters who are dependent on each other their relationship really grows to fruition in this season especially in the last episode yeah so like okay we start this season they are separate Mm -hmm. and they are like there's a little bit of things you need to know from previous seasons, but it's kind of, they tell us if we didn't already know by the end of the season that they used to meld and they ha- they aren't anymore. They don't anymore, right? Yeah. So there's like, their story is about, at first this season, it's kind of about their developing independence mm-hmm. from each other. And when Carrie gets kidnapped... And David uses his dependence on Carrie to as like the means to manipulate him. It feels like it's demonstra- it's showing that like they need to be independent from each other and their dependence on each other is a problem still. Mm. And then we keep moving past that. And we by the end of the season, they learn to come together again. Both like in super powery ways, but then even when they separate and she has aged and they have redefined their relationship, like it goes from kind of 
codependent from dependence to codependence to independence to like uh interdependent to like yeah interdependence interdependence right or mutual support mm-hmm. i like a lot the arc that we give carrie and carrie in this season mm-hmm. female carrie just gets so much more maturity yep throughout this season and and you're right lots more independence like when male carrie gets kidnapped Female Carrie doesn't fall apart. No. The way she would have in earlier seasons. She's become able to cope with the world and with being a person. Like eating and pooping and all that stuff. All the stuff that she says. The boring stuff she doesn't want to do. do, She's doing that now. Yeah. Um, And male Carrie gets... uh, kidnapped by david and he does have his mind messed with but i came to that realization earlier in the season that he is sorry about the sirens in the background if you hear them uh male carrie gets kidnapped he is i came to this realization earlier in the in the show about earlier in the season about he is chaotic neutral Mm-hmm. Possibly, he really enjoys the science, and despite his mind being messed with, he just enjoys the making things and doing things. But <laughs> when his but when his mind comes back, he's once again betrayed, treachery again. Like, he just wants to believe the good in people. Yeah, I, so I don't know if he's... I think you are seeing him as Entrapta from Shira. Yeah, but That's why, he's like, not. when he's captured, he still does the science for people because it's all about the science for him. Entrapta's so chaotic neutral. Uh, I think that he... You have to wipe Carrie's mind to make him neutral. You're right. Like it's chaotic good. He likes the science. He likes building things and figuring things out. It's chaotic rather than lawful because he'll make a machine and doesn't ri- like. It could be a weapon. It could be a protecting machine. It could break the rules. He likes to just like explode what's possible. Mm-hmm. But he has this real naivety, especially for someone so old. Yeah, just the moments of treachery are like. He has this innocence. It's one of the things I love about carrying Carrie as an interaction is that they're it. You might expect him to be like, he's the outside one who spent, who is the age that he is because he has lived that time outside. He has developed this, you know, you would expect him to have developed the kind of uh, cynicism that people develop in age. Mm -hmm. And he hasn't. He has this uh, wide-eyed innocence and wonder that motivates his science, but also is like why he's so betrayed when everyone, whenever anyone betrays him. And that feels like it's a female carry trait in him, even yeah. when they're separate, they're separate, separate this whole season. And she gets this season, this sense of like, prag- she's pragmatic in a 
also a naive way. Like you think about, why don't we just kill baby David? It would be so easy. Yeah. That's like very childish. She's also, like you said, developing this wisdom in this season and this maturity in this season. Because she doesn't go off and do it. No. She listens to Sid. And I think an earlier her wouldn't have. Yeah, might not have. Male Carrie is also a bit of an audience identification character. Like I think about him seeing the big, the giant pig the first time and just like, and reacting the same way all of us did, which is like, what's going on here? Yeah. And he is one of the most normal characters in a very weird show. It's true. I find, despite being like a mutant who shares a body with another person. And a mad scientist. And a mad scientist. And a played by a clown so he sometimes does clowny things yeah but on the other hand he is or at least maybe he's the audience identification character for me like (laughs) i like to believe the good in people and like the treachery of of what the things that david does are always like oh yeah i guess he's treacherous or whatever like at least for me i can relate a lot to to carrie Mm-hmm. So I feel very strongly about him. I also, like, Carrie and Carrie is definitely, are definitely an audience favorite, and including for me. Part of that for me is Bill Irwin, like, I think I, I'm sure I've mentioned before on this show that I uh, worked as a clown also. Um and that might be why part of why I identify so strongly with Bill Irwin and also like have a level of professional admiration for him. Yeah. But like I've been in plays, I like acting, but I've worked professionally as a clown. Mm-hmm. And so his clowning, I'm so impressed with. He's so good at it. And I love it. Mm-hmm. And I love when they give him chances to. And it's like also I think it is relevant to his character, though. There are philosophical approaches to clowning, some that are attractive to me and some that are not. There's a kind of clown who's, like, mean-spirited, and I hate that. And there's a kind of approach to clowning where the, a clown is, like, like a child, mm-hmm. sees the world very childishly with this sense of wonder, and uh, the goal is to try to bring the audience in to see things from a new perspective so you don't actually have to do sleight of hand magic to discover something magical mm-hmm. and Billerwin does do sleight of hand magic but he also like a spoon can be magical when he's holding it mm. and that's partly because of how he sees it yes and there are moments in this show where they let him do that. And I think it's appropriate for Carrie as a character. And it informs his science, too. That, like, he does amazing things because he sees the world as wondrous. Mm-hmm. And that comes across in the way that he is a clown. It came across in the way that he's a clown even when he's Mr. Wiggle on Sesame Street. Like, that's clearly his approach to clowning in general. Mm-hmm. Bill Irwin's, I mean. Yeah. Mr. Noodle. Mr. Noodle, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I love, love male Carrie and Bill Irwin. And female Carrie, her growth this season was, I think, more compelling than male Carrie's. She goes further. Mm-hmm. I don't have quite as much affection for her because of what I just said about why I like Bill Irwin so much. Yeah. 
I really like, though, their ending of, like, calling each other brother and sister. Mm-hmm. It's very sweet. And that she's old now is, like... She caught up. She caught up. It's kind of the end for them because, you know, at this point everything's restarting or whatever. But she's caught up to him. They're in the same place at the same time. And that's really beautiful. My only real criticism of the Carrie Carey relationship this season is that the moment where she, uh, they merge so that he takes on all her injuries. Mm-hmm. Is like, you've done this already and you did it better the first time. Yeah, you may be right. I think it was good, but the first time it was like a very moving and beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. And this time it wasn't quite, they didn't quite pull it off as well and we'd seen it before. Yeah, that's true. Even on its own terms, like it wasn't as well the first time where he was just so like, I've got you. Mm-hmm. And this time he's like, I don't want to. Yeah, so that is the shift in their world it's true is that he doesn't want to protect her in that way anymore he doesn't want to have to he doesn't want to have to so do we want to talk about charles and gabrielle together or separately i think that we're not really going to be able to talk about one without talking about the other but let's take them one at a time and kind of spill over right yeah exactly so what do we want to say about Gabrielle this season? This season. It's her the only one she's in. Yeah, exactly. So we... This is the only season she's ever been in. Mm-hmm. We have her introduced as, you know, not necessarily knowing who she is until she said, until she calls her baby David. Um, that wasn't a surprise to me, but I have heard it was a surprise to some viewers who she was. And then at the very end, last episode, she does officially get her last name of Xavier. And so it's fully revealed within the show that this is Charles and Gabrielle Xavier. Yeah. Which, I mean, it was pretty clear in season one that Charles was fa- that David's father was Professor X. Yes. But if you don't know anything about X-Men at all... You might not have known. But if you don't, I mean, like, not to be too much of a jerk about it, but if you don't know anything about X-Men at all, then Charles Xavier's name isn't going to mean anything anyway. Well, it might mean more than... Wheelchair with an X on it? Anyway. I'm just saying. (laughs) Okay, well, it's confirmed for sure. saying it's confirmed for sure, textually. But anyway, she appears with, like... She's such a different character than we've ever seen before. She's so subdued. Mm -hmm. But she also reminds us of David from, like, season one, like, drugged up to the max. You know, like, in the mental institution kind of way. Yeah. Like, she just is so not present as a, you know, in her mind. And there's, like... By the end of the season, she's asks Charles, she asks Charles whether he ever wonders whether it would have been better to just leave her mm-hmm. in the hospital. And there's a sense in which she is still, maybe not in the hospital, but like he takes her out of catatonia and 
only sort of. Yeah, exactly. Right? There's a part of her that still stays behind. Mm-hmm. And we see that in how she acts all the time. We see it especially in the last episode when she says to say it like, all animals fight to survive, but yeah. life is meaningless. Um, or that's the second last episode. Mm-hmm. She says that. And it gives us, like, Charles, and we said this in those episodes, but Charles and Gabrielle are, like, the ingredients to add up to David, right? Mm-hmm. And what, like, the simple answer is they're the ingredients that add up to David. He's the psychic part and she's the mentally ill part. Is there more to them than that in terms of like what they pass down to David I'm not sure there is I want there to be and like I'm racking my brain kind of thing because I want this to be as good a show as possible but I'm not entirely sure there is more to it than that I'm like yeah they're not fully fleshed out characters because we only see them for so long that's true and also like there's a part of me that wants uh, epigenetics isn't real. Epigenetics is the idea that stuff that happens in your life you pass down to your kids. Uh, in narrative, we have epi- epigenetics all the time, where like mm-hmm. she learns something in her life, then her child inherits those things, and even though she doesn't know him, he has genetically learned to be a Holocaust survivor somehow. Yeah. That is narratively satisfying in some ways. So maybe there's something to, like, maybe there's something to respect in the decision. To Like, they're very different people from who David is. Mm-hmm. Because Good. all he got from them, the version of David that we know, all he got from them is genetics. Right, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so he isn't this, like, detached and distant because it's her trauma that brought her there Mm -hmm. she like him has mental illness and trauma Mm -hmm. and they their trauma are different from each other oh his his trauma explodes outwards whereas her hers explodes inwards yes her inner life is extremely bombastic and his is and his well, he's both for him, but like his, he definitely has outer explosions as well, where mm-hmm. she does not have those. And there's the like so many images through the season of him like Wah! outward. Mm-hmm. Charles is. We get hints of Charles being the Professor X that we know from the other mediums that we've seen professor x in whether that's the movies whether that's the comics or the tv shows or whatnot we've seen you know in pop culture we the you know society have seen professor Mm -hmm. x in so many iterations and i feel like this this charles xavier does fit into that there's something about him the positivity the um, the desire for goodness, the draw, the fact that he's a bit drawn to children, 
and their education eventually is is just this is professor x we recognize this character he's an idealist and an optimist yeah and that's those are like there's a lot about professor x that changes an idealist's optimistic psychic you can't take that away and have him still be professor x yeah exactly they don't Mm mm-hmm what is it like? Maybe this isn't so much about understanding the character as a character, but like they're why this is something that uh, they inherit that Legion inherits. Gabrielle Holler uh, always is this, but why is she a Holocaust survivor? Does that matter? I think within this show, it matters in terms of there's trauma. And we're seeing a different kind of trauma. Mm-hmm. This show is a lot about child, about like childhood trauma, and so the Holocaust is childhood trauma to like the most extreme version of it, where everyone in your family and extended family and everyone is killed, and you're the only one left. Yeah, and it's not just her. Like she has the the trauma of people she loves dies but also the kind of worldview trauma yeah that she expresses to say it of like the world is meaningless and she's an interesting counterpoint for charles because i feel like she has some idealism but no optimism yeah yeah exactly there's also a bit like this is way out of legion but i it occurs to me that a Holocaust survivor as a partner for Charles is a Magneto stand-in. Yes. I was I was thinking the same thing, but I wasn't sure if I should say it. It's not but, really relevant to yeah, Legion. Not really relevant to Legion, but that is, in within the comics, a reason why she would be. So we have slightly less to say about Charles and Gabrielle than Carrie and Carrie, I guess. <laughs> How did you like the two performances? I liked them a lot. Me too. Yeah, I think that both of them did a fantastic job. I was... Worried about uh, the actor who plays Charles. He, in several things I had seen him in, played kind of a bad guy or was not necessarily the greatest person. And so I was feeling a little like, oh, am I going to think he's bad? But no, he was great. He was he's, perfect. He's a uh, 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 Varys Targaryen. Varys. Yeah, Varys Targaryen. And, and he was the brood, brother blood, brother blood in... Uh, the Family of Blood episode of Doctor Who. Yep. And both of these, he has this, like, manic eyes and crazy smile. Mm-hmm. Um, but he brought a lot of seriousness to this role. Yeah, exactly. I mean, seriousness, sort of. But, like, he's a serious character. Yeah. And Gabrielle, I was worried about. We know her from uh, Mr. Robot. Mm-hmm. Where she's quite a different character. Very different, yeah. And, like... But still with a lot of vulnerability. Yeah. In Mr. Robot, she's got, she just seems vulnerable and uses that to manipulate people. Whereas in this, she's got, she's just got the huge eyes and like the voice, the soft voice that really can portray that vulnerability. Thought she did really well in this. Yeah. Like so well. So well. So speaking of people who do so well, Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza as Lenny, as usual was amazing this season so like she has played lenny very 
differently throughout the the show. Yeah. This Lenny, like, this is the most, uh, perhaps, uh, steady through a season. Mm-hmm. This was the same Lenny from episode one to her last appearance in this season. Yeah. So this is Lenny who has stolen Amy's, who has Amy's body now. Mm-hmm. This is Lenny who is David's servant, David's conscience. This is like a really interesting Lenny. Yeah. Because she kind of welcomes Switch. She she kind of pretends that she's in charge of that place, but then David keeps kind of pushing her pushing her over and she can't quite stand up to him until yeah. the very end. And we've talked about characters who grow and develop through the season like Lenny really grows this season. Absolutely. Absolutely. So much. Yeah. And I said, I said a second ago that she plays the same Lenny beginning to end of this season. And that's so true, but also false. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like in previous seasons, Lenny didn't really grow. She just uh, morphed. Mm-hmm. This, we have the same, this feels like exactly the same person at the beginning as the end, except that she has been through stuff and learned stuff and grown and is in a different place in her understanding of herself. Yeah, exactly. Right? This is like the first time we've seen what I would call real character growth from Lenny. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it was great. Mm-hmm. I never, I like, the blue eyes never looked right. No. And I don't know whether I like that or not. Because mm. it made her look kind of off-putting and eerie, even. Yeah. But also it kind of made her look off-putting and eerie. I was going to say, I like the off-putting and eerie. I felt like that was on purpose. And it was always a reminder that it wasn't really her body. Yeah. That there was something in her, I felt, the whole season, that there was something in her that was a little bit Amy. Hmm. She was different and had diff- and had more feelings and had more fear yeah. in that Amy kind of way. It was more like compelled to deal with those feelings. Mm-hmm. Because we have at the end of her, like the end of Lenny, she says that she's always had feelings, but she ran away from them. Yeah, that's true. But having Amy as part of her, changed her habits so that she had to confront them in a different way. Yeah, I think so. Obviously, maybe maybe not obviously. For me, the like Lenny's moment of having a child seeing it grow and die is like first of all an acting tour de force from Aubrey Plaza mm-hmm. and also just like a it's it's such a strange moment of character development because it's ex- like it's breaking all the rules of how you do character development. Yes, it's like it's true. Let's have this character grow by exposition. Yeah, let's tell everybody that lots of stuff happened to her, but it worked. Yeah. I think uh, it worked for me anyway. Mm-hmm. I followed her on that emotional journey and totally believed that she ended that day a different like. Different from how she started it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Though she was already planning to leave David before that. Yeah, she was trying to because she was supposedly fathering a child with Salmon and she, yeah, she was recognizing what David was. It wasn't fun anymore, Mm -hmm. but also it was beyond that, that she had kind of, I think the goodness in her, she had learned to be more of a person because she was a person. Yeah. Yeah. She's another one, like she and Sam and they're another uh, couple. Yeah. Or another pair of parents raising a child. Yeah, that's true. And then she ends up doing, like, raising the her daughter alone. Mm-hmm. And it's another thing of, like, she doesn't have support. She doesn't have the support that she needs. No. Just when she becomes vulnerable enough, recognizes her vulnerability enough to know that she needs support then she really doesn't have it. Yeah, that's true. I really liked... Oh, I really liked Aubrey Plaza through the whole show. I really liked Aubrey Plaza's part in this season. What do we think of, like, okay... I don't know. I was going to say I really liked Lenny this season, except I don't know that I did. Hmm. I liked a lot of what we saw of Lenny. I was disappointed that her end was her end yeah. and we never returned to her or acknowledged her or came back to that at all because in a lot of ways this show has been Lenny's show as much as anyone's mm-hmm. and she just kind of killed herself and that was it yeah there's a lot of anticlimactic things though yeah so maybe we'll talk about all that story when we talk about the season Maybe, but I mean, it's just, that was the end of her story and that needed to be the end there. But I agree, I really missed her in the last few episodes. And to have her just die and disappear like that was was disappointing. And that's why I choose to believe that the fish he pulls from his ear has something to do with Lenny. That it could be a babblefish, and I've read a bunch online, too, of, like, well, he was the one translating the the time travel things, and so it was it was all just a babblefish that was in his ear, which is a Hitchhiker's Guide reference, and... That's so less satisfying. It's though. so much less satisfying to me than, like, it, there's a reason it's a goldfish, and it's follow the goldfish, and all that stuff. Like, that, I feel like there's something to do with Lenny and Salmon in that... They're still within him. I like it. I think if it was going to be Lenny, it should have been blue. But other than that... True. A blue goldfish. A blue goldfish. (laughs) So brand new character this season is Switch. Who turned out was like one of the main characters of the season. Yeah. She was phenomenal. Can I like start off by just saying how much Switch both... The actor, Lauren Tsai, and uh, even more, the character, so interesting, so compelling, so phenomenal. She's like my vote for one of my favorite mutants. <laughs> I like Switch so much. I mean, they took a huge risk by just starting off the season with 
a brand new character we'd never met before for 20 minutes. Yep. The whole first half of the first episode was someone we had no attachment to, but we very swiftly got attached to her. She switched just immediately drew us in and drew us up to like yeah that's a new character and we're all in with her yeah and like what i was to them like what i was saying about bill Irwin, she plays her with this naivety Mm -hmm. this like wide-eyed uh character trait whatever this (laughs) wide-eyedness uh that i think worked really well to make her the viewpoint character at the beginning mm-hmm. and like she has as she has moments where she breaks she reveals herself to be competent and then kind of comes back to this like i'm my eyes are wide open and i'm looking at everything and i'm she's quite eager to please mm-hmm. and when we see her by the end of the series that she was like uh child like we know that she's a she's young Mm -hmm. she's like i don't know how old Lawrence is but switch's character was obviously supposed to be Mm teenagery like on the old side of a teenager maybe 20 yeah um but the she we reframe that at the end of the series we're like she's not a teenager she's a child because she lost her baby teeth and now she's matured in like she was, uh, for whatever fourth dimensional creature she was, she was younger than she seemed. Mm-hmm. Or, like, less mature than she seemed, you know? And I feel like that makes sense when you look back on her. That she has all this power, and that's where her competence comes in every once in a while. And she she doesn't let herself get pushed around in critical moments. But she also is, like out of her depth <laughs> mm-hmm. well it feels also like she's being manipulated by david the whole time yeah it's always like david's just trying to use her power and so it feels a little like oh she's just being used by him but then repeatedly she'll hint and you'll realize that she's not being used by him and in the end it feels like it was all it was all for a purpose everything that happened was so that she could mature a purpose of her, it's not a purpose of his. Exactly. This was her... This season was her story. And yeah. her story was the... Was meeting David and realizing that she's a fourth dimensional being. And like, call me sappy, but I also just really love Switch's end. That it's like... It's manipulative on the show's part, but I will take it. That like... <laughs> Everything bad gets undone. Yay. <laughs> she was, her father did love her. She did have power. Everything did have meaning. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the opposite of, I don't know if I had realized quite how stark it is, but it's like she, her story is the opposite or the antithesis of Gabrielle's story. Hmm. Where Gabrielle has her trauma that teaches her that the world has no meaning. And Switch has her triumph where the world teaches her that the universe does have meaning and she becomes the one who conveys that meaning to people. Mm-hmm. It did matter. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about Sid. 
Let's talk about Sid. She goes from the beginning of the season where she's ready to shoot David in the head to standing by his cradle, ready to usher in a new world. Yeah. That's quite quite the arc that she goes through this season. Hmm. <laughs> do you buy it? Yeah. I do. Um, I... I know that Sid is not the most loved. I mean, like, I don't pay a lot of attention to what people are saying on the internet about Legion. But I do know that people have a problem with Sid. Mm-hmm. But I don't. <laughs> I mean, people's problem with Sid is called misogyny. Mm, <laughs> right. That's why I don't have that problem. And it's the exact same... But, I mean, it's the same problem they have with all kinds of female characters in shows yeah. where there's a troubled male lead. Um, but the problem that people have typically with your female lead on the troubled male lead show and the quintessential example is Skylar in Breaking Bad, that's a problem that's often shared by the creators of the show. Hmm. So that the creators of the show also are ambivalent about the character and so people are uh, more, are harder on the character because she's a woman, but also the show gives you less to mm-hmm. like about the character because she's a woman. Yeah. I feel like in Sid's case, I don't know, I don't think it is the show. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what makes a character, I mean, uh, what makes a character sympathetic to an audience conventional wisdom says is vulnerability you make an audience like a character by making them vulnerable and we see that really well in the characters that we have liked so far Mm -hmm. right and we see that this is the big thing that and we aren't talking about david yet but through the whole show and definitely definitely through this season this show really likes to uh give us whiplash on how sympathetic we're we're supposed to be to David mm-hmm. and the way that you manipulate audience sympathies is by manipulating the character's vulnerabilities so when you make the character more vulnerable the audience is more sympathetic to them and that and you also build in character build in our sympathy to a character by making them our viewpoint character so in the first episode switch is very vulnerable and we're seeing the world through her perspective so we are on her side and rooting for her and we like her and David comes and kind of threatens her and we are really uh, manipulated by the show not to sympathize with David mm-hmm. in the first episode. And then when we see everything from David's pers- we start seeing the world through David's perspective and the episode starts with Charlie Brown and it's David, it makes him feel very vulnerable and suddenly we're on his side. And so if you talk about Sid, mm-hmm. she starts off the season not vulnerable at all. No. And that is how a show can uh, discourage us from sympathizing with a character. Hmm. Like, we might not sympathize with David very much, but we sympathize with him more than we sympathize with Sid in the first episode, because she just shows up and kills somebody. That's true. Right? Yeah. So what I'm curious about is where, by the end of the season, does Sid develop vulnerabilities? Hmm. That the show, and not just does she have them, but like is the show 
pointing us to her vulnerabilities because we don't have to be manipulated by that, but that's how a show would would manipulate our sympathies. If you were trying to follow the the conventional wisdom of storytelling to make an audience sympathize with a character, you would forefront their their vulnerabilities. So I think that when Sid meets her childhood self, yep. and they have a big conversation about the trauma that they experienced as children, and then she goes and gets a second childhood. Yeah. I think that is a really key turning point for Sid. For her seeing what it actually was like for her to be that age and then go and experience a life where she has a proper childhood is it's a it's just a great moment of her becoming sympathetic to us i don't know i was always sympathetic to her including when she like <laughs> when david is trying to manipulate her being like you know like come back to me and she still says no and he's like just the flashes of anger in him and you're like yeah hell yeah don't go with him yeah he's an abusive monster like good on you for resisting that because yep. you know that part of her is still in love with him but she can't reconcile who he was with who he is and then she gets this second second childhood to see that that's all he needs yeah. And so that makes her sympathetic to him, to his plight, and that makes her sympathetic to us. Yeah, and it makes her see him... I mean, it makes her see everything differently. I find... Mm. This is another, like... I talked about uh, Lenny having a child for 20 minutes, <laughs> being like character growth by exposition. The... Sid's second childhood with Oliver and Melanie is also just like, not just like, but it's not following the rules of what TV shows are supposed to do. Yeah. Quotation marks Absolutely. around supposed to. That like, that we episode kind of amounts to them telling us that she has grown. We have to extrapolate a lot in this show. Yes. We just... It's not serving anything to you on a silver platter. No. You have to dig. You have to imagine. You have to bend your mind to what they want you to experience. And so it's just a different... It's such a different show than any other show I've ever seen in that. That you as the audience have to do a lot more work. Just to know what's what's uh you're experiencing and what the characters are experiencing mm-hmm i really like this character growth by tangent like she goes off and has a separate childhood and then she comes back from it and she's different mm-hmm. and i think they pulled that off and i think it like it did i mean like you i liked sid all along mm-hmm. uh and I, yeah, I liked it all along. I like it when she is uh, kind of seized through David. Mm -hmm. And that's been a character trait of hers since the beginning. Yeah. I'm, 
that's like this their conversation and David's flashes of anger and Sid just like sees through it all. Mm-hmm. I find that uh, attractive. Yeah. <laughs> um. But so I liked her even before this. Cha- this like change in her perspective. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this change in her perspective serves the show really well. And serves her character. So she's, her goals suddenly change. And it's, uh, she seems so, the first two thirds of the season, she seems so intractable in her goal of like, I am going to kill David. Mm -hmm. And nothing, like I can, I'm going to use every tool at my disposal. She's single-minded. She's got her goal and she's going to achieve it right Mm -hmm. and david can't make her change her goal but a second childhood does because her goal turns out to be as much motivated turns out to be i mean we kind of see it already but her goal is actually as much motivated by herself and her childhood and her personality and her life before david as it is a reaction to david particularly Mm -hmm. absolutely and we get that she gains a perspective on that, and so do we. Mm-hmm. So she can make choices that are, you know, that are better for everybody, that don't just serve her sense of vengeance. Mm-hmm. So we've got two more characters left, David and Farouk. Who should we talk about first? I think we need to end. I think we need to, if we're building up to the more complex characters, David is our ending point. That's true. Okay, let's talk about Farouk first. Farouk, we spent a lot of this season, as we were watching it, talking about how how can they possibly trust Farouk. Farouk is a monster. Uh, Farouk is untrustworthy. He's manipulating them all. Mm-hmm. And then that, was, that rug was pulled out from under us at the end. I mean, it wasn't not true. No. He just was achieving David's goal of killing him, sort of. He, I mean, he's still not a good guy, no. I don't think. Not no. at all. And even at the end of the season, yeah, even at the end of the season, we don't end by saying Farouk is a good person now. He has changed... He loves David. Mm-hmm. He's changed by his relationship with David. And he sees the past self and he says, you know, like, was I so petty and consumed by hate? Uh, so he's grown in general. But he's certainly not idealistic and optimistic and altruistic the way Charles is. Mm-hmm. Even though he loves David. He's like... He's certainly not the good guy that we want to see Charles as mm-hmm. by any means. And he continues to be manipulative and he calls himself a strategist and he still is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, it was really interesting this season to see the past Farouk and what he was like and this, uh, and uh, you know, this height of his powers and we'd kind of built up this like mythical figure that he, you know, was a king in Morocco and he did so much and he did this epic battle with Charles and then went into David and blah, blah, blah. And he was kind of pathetic. Like he wasn't even as strong as Charles. Yeah. He was just like, 
He was king of his little monkeys and children. Like, he's nothing. He has party tricks and has trapped people. And he want, all he wants to do is, like, show off and... I don't know. Somehow, I'm not sure exactly what his end game was going to be with Charles. Yeah. Trapping him. Just to trap him. And he says his goal was to dominate. Hmm. Yeah. He really has changed and he really has matured. Mm-hmm. And whether... I mean, like... I think this is something else that we'll get to in this season and certainly we'll get to talking about this series. But, like, good and evil... One of the, I think, uh, mission statements of this show is to complicate the categories of good and evil. Mm-hmm. And Farouk doesn't end the show good, but he doesn't end the show evil either. Mm-hmm. He ends the show nuanced. Yeah. I said this when we talked about the fi- the season finale episode. I absolutely love Charles and Farouk sit down to have a beer together. Mm-hmm. And Charles's, it's Charles's interaction with Farouk that leads him to the conclusion, war isn't the solution, it's the problem. Yeah. Like, Charles wouldn't have got there without Farouk. No. Farouk has changed. Mm-hmm. Not, and I said a second ago, just in his relationship to David, but no. Because of his relationship with David. Mm-hmm. He sees things differently from how anyone else on the show does. Mm-hmm. Except maybe Charles, by the end of the show. I mean, sort of. And he sees things in a big picture way. Yeah. Which is what you have to do to be a strategist. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Even when he was a villain, he saw things more big picture than Mm -hmm. I think the people around him do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. David just does not see things big picture at all. No, definitely not. David. Sorry, are we going to talk about David now? Yeah, we can. David, in this season, just... Every season, it's just a whole new David. Yep. And so this season is like cult leader uh, fighting. Like he's got the personalities that are really surfacing this time. Like he can't quite control who his voice is going to come out of his mouth, really. Mm -hmm. And it's just such an interesting arc for David this season. I feel like what what Farouk says about David is how I kind of end this season that, like, breaks my heart to see the sweet boy undone by revenge. Mm-hmm. And man, is he undone yeah. this season. And we really see him. Like, especially when you look back on the whole season. I tried not to, but I couldn't help to be pulled in sometimes by the red herring of like, is he a superhero or a supervillain? Mm-hmm. But then when you look on the whole season and you see him as just like, he's just a traumatized sweet boy undone by revenge. And it's sad. Yeah, exactly. When you remove his, when you remove the harm that his powers can do, like, you don't remove his powers exactly, but by the end of the series, everything's undone. So all the evil things he've done, 
doesn't hurt anyone anymore. Mm -hmm. And you can just look at him from the perspective of uh, what it means to him that he has done this stuff. Mm -hmm. It just becomes sad. Mm -hmm. And you see things, I see things like Farouk does. I end the show kind of with taking Farouk's perspective. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's also just like he, his desire for love is so strong that he ruins everyone around him. Yeah. He makes this, you know, this cult and he manipulates these people's minds to love him because he thinks he's so undeserving of love that he has to manipulate people into giving it to him instead of getting it genuinely. Because when he did get it genuinely, he screwed that up. Yeah. And so all he can do is manipulate people and mess with their minds. And so they show him love. And then Switch shows up who doesn't need to be manipulated. And that changes everything. But he still doesn't, like, recognize that Switch is the only one, except maybe Lenny, who is actually devoted to him. Yeah, exactly. And he throws her away. Mm -hmm. Just like he throws Lenny away. Yep. And that also is just sad. Yeah. He thinks he's so traumatized by feeling disposable that he treats other people like they're disposable and that's why he needs to have a second chance and a second start because then he won't think of people as disposable Mm because he won't be given away by charles and gabrielle yeah so we said at the start of this episode (laughs) that maybe this would be a two-part or a three-part I don't think I hinted that it might be a three-part, but now <laughs> this is definitely going to be more than one part, mm. our wrap-up. So this was our wrap-up of the characters of Legion. I think let's leave it here for this week. Okay. Because that was a lot of talking we just did. If you, dear listeners, want to share your insights and thoughts about these different characters and how they've grown this season we would love to hear about it you can email us clockworkscast at gmail.com if you want it to be between the two of us or if you want to uh think about and talk about these characters in public you can do it on twitter at clockworkscast you can find us but we are less active on facebook and reddit and instagram but we are there and we'll hear what you have to say to us if you say it there. If you like this show, uh, even though it is ending, if you like our analysis of Legion, tell people about it so they can uh, also hear what we think of Legion and tell us what they think of Legion. And it's in, in such a... It has been such an interesting conversation. We would love to share it with more people. All of that stuff is also in the show notes. We'll be back next week with more talking about the season finale. And eventually we will also do a show about the whole series. I have been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>